which just says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Amen. And so uh, I want to preach to you for a few minutes on this title, Seeing Jesus Through the Chaos. Seeing Jesus Through the Chaos. And I know that this message has been confirmed. Sister Brittany read part of the verses I'm going to read this morning. Uh, so, or she didn't read it. I guess she read it unless she quoted it by memory. Um, but so uh, I, I really believe that God has a, has a word for us today. Would you join me in prayer? Let's ask God just to help us today. Lord, we just come before you right now and we ask for your word to just go forth in power and unction and anointing, Lord. In Jesus' name, speak this word to this people the way I know that you gave it to me, Lord. God, let your pleasant presence just continue to just blanket this place, Lord. God, let there be boldness in the Holy Ghost today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. So Revelation, it's a book that's been fraught with misunderstanding since its writing. As a matter of fact, people have made it about something that it's really not about. And so, uh, and because in it contains uh, how seven trumpets, seven seals, and seven bowls, or what the Bible calls vials of God's judgment, will one day be poured out upon this earth. And that is God's judgment. And that's kind of what many people have made it about. And who can escape its apocalyptic tone? When the seven trumpets sounded, there are certain things that happened. First, the hailstorm hail and fire that destroyed most of the plant life on the earth. There's a destruction of one-third of all sea life and the destruction within all lakes and rivers. There's the sun and the moon that were darkened, locusts that came out of the earth that tortured people. And then there were seven angels that have the, uh, the seven bowls of God's wrath that is yet to come. At one place, the angels mourn for the inhabitants of the earth because of the coming judgments that are yet to come. When the seven bowls are poured out, painful sores appear on humans. There is the death of everything in the sea, not just uh, one-third of the sea, which is what we saw with one of the trumpets that was sounding. We, saw, we see how the rivers will be turned into blood. I believe that's just uh, speaking symbolic of how much death and destruction that there will be upon the earth. There is the sun that, uh, that causes great pain and scorching men. There is great darkness that's over the earth, and the sores get worse that appear upon men. The Bible says the Euphrates River... Uh, is dried up and the armies of the Antichrist gather for the battle of, or the great battle of Armageddon. And then lastly, there is a great earthquake and giant hailstorms. Now, regardless of whatever your understanding or interpretation of Revelation might be, bad things are going to happen in the book of Revelation. And all of this is not even considering how there's going to be a war that will kill about one-third of mankind. Think about that for a moment. That was written back in the days, 2,000 years ago, before they had nuclear weapons and nuclear warheads. And I'm not here to scare anybody. I've actually got a really positive message today. So just breathe easy and relax. Okay? But, but regardless of whatever your interpretation of, there has never been a war that I'm aware of that's killed one-third of mankind. Now, it does not say one-third in the city of Jerusalem, but it says one-third in the earth, one-third upon the earth. So I interpret that to mean one-third of all of mankind. 
It's chaos. The entire book appears to be chaos. Books have been written, movies have been made with sometimes people twisting its real meaning. But whatever you may believe about Revelation, whatever interpretation, one thing you must know, it is absolute chaos upon the earth. But even though it contains chaos, it's not about chaos. The very first verse of Revelation reveals the true subject of John's revelation and the reason why he's writing this book is that in Revelation 1.1, he simply said this, the first five words of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I would present to you today that while the book of Revelation does contain the story of God's judgment, that is not its main subject and the tenure of what John was writing about. It's not about seven bulls and seven vials of God's judgment that's going to be poured out upon the earth. It's not about locusts that are appearing as men that have hair, that had hair, long hair like women. Uh, whatever that symbolizes. It's not about a, you know, a war that will kill one-third of mankind. It's not about any of that. It is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Literally, the revelation, the word revelation just means unveiling. In other words, he's coming again. He's coming again. Amen. You see, John was exiled unto the Isle of Patmos, banished from his own country, away from his family and friends, lonely and desperate and hungry and possibly about to die. But John got in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Revelation 1 and 10, he says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice behind me as of a great voice, as of a trumpet. You know, let me just pause here for a moment and say a lot of our problems would dissipate if we would just simply get in the spirit when things go bad. But we tend to get in the flesh. We get into fear. We get into worry. And we often allow the chaos that breaks loose into our life. And, and we allow worry and fear to dominate us and control us. But John, almost like he was sending a message to the emperor Domitian, who at that point was persecuting the Christians... He was, you know, it was as if he was saying, you may have banished me into the Isle of Patmos. You may have thought that my ministry is over. Let me give you another word, my friend. I got in the Spirit when things got bad. I got in the Holy Ghost when things got bad. I went into the shelter of the Most High God when things got bad. Because John knew that verse out of Psalms 91 where he said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. Let me tell you, my friend, when things go bad and when you lose your job and when the doctors give you a diagnosis that they have no idea what to do about, when your marriage is in trouble, there is a shadow the most high you can get into there is a spirit you can get into that will hide you away from those things amen and Jesus was telling John I am the last revelation 1 and verse 7 he said this behold he cometh with clouds and every eye will see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him even so amen 
In verse 8, he said this, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, the Almighty God. Jesus was telling John, I'm going to show you a lot of chaos, and you're going to see a lot of things that are going to unveil that is still yet to come. But it's not about that in the end, because it will lead you to a revelation of me. And I am the Almighty God in the midst of it all. Amen. And then John turned around, and he saw... Uh, he he. He uh, turned around to see the voice behind him, and he saw Jesus that was in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks. Now, I know that you understand that those seven golden candlesticks represent the seven churches. It was a symbolic picture of all the churches in that day, and I believe uh, the churches in our day as well, which in John's day was in the midst of great persecution. You understand that in John's day, the Christian church was under tremendous persecution. People were being persecuted and killed just for simply coming to the house of God. Now think about that. The next time we miss church, for whatever reason or excuse, I'm not condemning, I'm just trying to say, we are going to stand in judgment side by side beside people that literally gave up their lives to come and worship in God's house. Amen. But but John was, uh, but Jesus was showing John that I know all this persecution is happening right in the midst of it all, and nothing is beyond my control. Because John turned around and he saw Jesus. He heard the voice. It was the voice behind him. He said, "I heard a voice behind me." Because in what was in front of him was all of these visions and all of this chaos and all of this tragedy that was happening. But he turned around and he saw Jesus. I think one direction probably did represent the chaos that John might have been looking to. But the voice behind him, but the voice that spoke behind him, and when he turned and he only then did he see Jesus in the midst of all of it. And this is what happened when he saw Jesus in verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool and as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet were likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in all of his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. This is the second time that Jesus told John that. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. John saw Jesus not as the humble, suffering servant he came as the first time, but he saw Jesus finally as a conquering king with everything subject to him. Amen. I want to just encourage you today to turn around, my friends, and quit looking to the chaos that's in your life right now and start looking to Jesus and looking to him as the conquering king that he is. Because you can read the whole book of Revelation and you can read about how there's chaos and tragedy and people are dying and rivers are turning into blood and there's a, there's a demonic spirit in the form of locusts that are being released from the earth and all of this may very well be symbolic. But whatever it is and whatever your interpretation might be, it is absolute chaos and tragedy. But in the end, we see God still on the throne. And through the midst of it all, everyone 
once in a while, John kind of was able to slip up into heaven and see the throne again. And throughout the book of Revelation, you consistently read about how John saw Jesus on the throne over and over and over again, like five or six times throughout the whole book of Revelation. He talked about how I was in the spear on the Lord's day, but God allowed me to go up there, and I saw chaos down here. But when I was up there, it was peaceful. When I was up there, I was reminded that God is still on the throne. Let me tell you, my friend, I don't know what's happening in your life tonight, but God has sent me with a word here to tell you that God is still on the throne in your life. And whatever is happening in your life does not bother him. He's not worried about it like we are worried about it. How many is worried about something right now? Something that might happen or something uh, that has happened. Uh, something that has impacted you in a tremendous way. Here's a secret that the enemy does not want you to know. And that is this. Satan is the ruler of darkness, but God is the ruler over darkness. And look at what happened at the giving of the law of Moses. Where did God dwell? Deuteronomy 4 and 11. And you came near and stood under the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, with darkness, and clouds and thick darkness. Psalms 18 and 11 says this, He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Do you know God is a God of darkness? And we say, well, he's a God of light, and that's true. He's the source of light. But before there was light, what was there? There was darkness. There was nothing. Literally, darkness means nothing. I mean, you know, darkness is just the absence of light. You don't pay your darkness bill. Pay your light bill. But when nothing was happening, God was still there. And he knew what was going to happen before it ever happened. And the light that God is the source of is not for him, it's for us. So we can have a better understanding of who he is. Amen. Let me read some more verses. Look at 2 Peter 2 and 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Darkness is the chains that God has given Satan to, to, to dwell in. Literally fully given him by God. Now look at the book of Jude in verse 6. It says this, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Who put Satan in these chains? It was God. Because he's not the God of darkness, he's the God over darkness. There are a lot of things to fear in this world today. There's a lot of money issues. There's people that will say, uh, you know, that we're in for an economic crash in the future. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Of course, there's 9-11 that happened and terrorism now that we have to deal with that forever changed the world. The world can never go back to the pre-9-11 world. Multiple school shootings. You, uh, you might remember back in 2004, you didn't have to go back that far to find a tragedy of, of this nature. 100,000 people were killed in Sri Lanka by a tsunami. Remember that? When, a, when, a, when, when an earthquake happened in the ocean and it caused this, this, uh, this great tsunami, 100,000 people were washed away to their deaths in Sri Lanka. There are health, health issues. There are job-related stress. It will kill your peace. Where is God in the midst of it all? Where is God in my darkness? Turn around, my friend, like John and see Jesus and not the chaos. He's still God over the darkness in your life. 
And the Bible says this from Job 23 and verse 8. Of course, you know everything that happened to Job. He said, Behold, I go forward, and he is not there and backwards, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me tell you something that I have had to consistently remind myself of over and over again in my life, and it is this. When I can't see in the dark, there is a God who can. When I cannot see how it's all going to work out, because in my mind there is no possible way it could get better. There is a God who can see in the dark. And when it seems like nobody knows what I'm going through, and nobody knows the pain that has allowed, been allowed to enter your life, and it seems like the enemy is attacking you from all sides, like Job. That was literally what happened to him. He lost his kids, he lost his family, he lost his possessions, everything in one instance. And when Job was sitting in the dark, rather his understanding was dark. And he, God never gave him a reason why that happened, at least not until the very end of it all, when God showed his sovereignty over all those things. Um, but, but in the midst of it all, in, in the very smack dab middle of the book of Job, this is where Job is at. Job is saying, I am in the dark. God has chosen not to tell me why this is happening in my life. But I know that when I can't see him, he can see me. And that's why he said he knows the way that I take. He knows where I'm at. I love, you know, Job said, man, I looked for him. I looked for him over here, and, and I just couldn't find him. And on top of that, all he had three friends who were sitting down and just looking at him and blaming him for everything. And, and so Job was like, I looked over here, and I looked for an encouraging word for my friends. But, but, you know, Eli, who and all those other friends were there, and they came to me. God maybe even sent them. Job didn't, didn't uh, you you know, Job didn't have any knowledge of why or how they came. Uh, so he was looking for some word of encouragement. He was searching for something. And he could not simply find anything at all. And so finally he just said, you know what? I don't know why this is all happening in my life. But I know that God knows exactly where I'm at. Because God can see in the dark even when I can't. He never loses sight of us. We often equate our finite sight with God's. You know, we can see only... To a certain distance, only a few miles away, and that's on a clear day. And that's, you know, if, uh, if the horizon is plain and there's no valleys or mountains in sight, we can see pretty far, but we can't see, my friend, as far as God sees. We see the present, but God sees the past, the present, and the future. Amen. We can't see, if we can't see how it's all going to work out, then we often lose sight of how God is still in control of it all. And like John, who was fraught with all of these things in the book of Revelation, but the very first verse told John, it's not about that. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know what? The chaos that you might be going through is probably still about the revelation of Jesus Christ so that God can show you that he truly is God, that he's God over the mountains. He's God in the valleys. He's God over every disease. He's God over anything that could ever come against you. He's God over every weapon that the enemy might form against you. He's God over that thing. And if you have the faith to get in the spirit on the Lord's day, then you'll see like John saw. It's easy to believe God when all is well, but what about when all is hell? From Psalms 139, the psalmist said this, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. He did not say, the light and the darkness are alike to me. But to God, they are both alike. Think about that for just a moment. The darkness is just like the light to God. Because he knows all things. He's got better eyesight than you do. If there is anything that you ought to comfort yourself with, when, 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 when things don't go the way you thought that they would go, it is this, that God sees better than you do. He sees things that he's still trying to work out in your life. He sees one day, that day when you will finally appear before the great white throne judgment. And could it be that there is something about this situation that God is going to use to try and work something out in you that is not like Christ? Amen. So God sees in the dark. He said he knows the way that I take. He knows the way that you're taking. He has not lost sight of where you're at today. From the book of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 47. Amen. Mark, Mark tells this story. It says, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary to them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. There's a lot about this passage I want to bring out. First of all, it was in the middle of the night. And the wind was contrary to them. So obviously there was this great storm that had arisen upon the sea where they were at. And thirdly, these were likely, most of them experienced fishermen. So you know that they had encountered many storms before. They thought that they were going to perish. And they thought that their lives would be lost. They had done everything that they possibly could. They had literally tried every trick that they knew that had worked in the past. Whatever sailors do in storms, batten down the hatches, you know, get a, get a pail and try to, you know, get the water out of the boat. You know, shift uh, the weight in the ship so that everything's not shifted to one side. Whatever sailors do in the storm, they were experienced fishermen. They knew how to do it all, but none of their efforts were fruitful. And they were probably asking themselves about the time when they were pretty sure they were going to sink. Where is Jesus? And they despaired. But what they didn't know was this. And it's found in verse 47. And look back at that where it says, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land, and he saw them toiling in rowing. Where? Did Jesus see them rowing from? He saw them from the land, probably from a mountain where he often went to pray. Jesus rarely prayed unless he went into the mountain or a wilderness. He had gone up on the mountain to pray, and he saw them rowing from the mountain. In the middle of the dark night when the waves were crashing against their ship, and when it seemed like God was silent and Jesus had forgotten, he never took his eyes off of them in that moment. And could it be that Jesus was praying for them and for their faith? 
And while they were trying everything that they knew to do, the one thing that they were not trying was their faith. They were not depending on God, so they despaired. And then that worry and then that fear seep into their life and steal their joy. And God has sent me here with a word today to tell somebody that although you're rolling and you're toiling and you probably have done everything that you know to do in your life right now to try and right the sails, to try and get the water out of the boat, you've tried to save your marriage and you've tried doctors uh, that, have, you know, that have diagnosed you with diseases and you've tried all these things, but God is saying right now, you need to keep your eyes back on me. Turn around, John, and get in the spirit on the Lord's day because it's not about chaos. It's not about seven trumpets and seven vials and seven bows of judgment that are being poured out, but there is a God in control that you can see Jesus in the midst of all that. Amen. God, God dropped this spirit into my mind earlier this week. You probably read it. It was a post I put on Facebook, but it was, it's just this. God doesn't need to be reminded because he never neglected to be mindful of you to begin with. By definition, reminded is to be mindful once again. God has never forgotten about you. He doesn't need an alarm clock. Or he doesn't need a wife to remind him of things that he should be doing, like I do. I'm serious. How many husbands have that? Thank God for our wives. They keep us on the straight and narrow. You know it's true. God doesn't need any of that. I have to have an alarm clock that wakes me up every morning. I've got, I've got this phone, and thank God for that phone because, you know, I, I try to wake up. You know, sometimes I have my alarm set really early before Tiny gets up. I try to wake up before it goes off so it doesn't wake her up. I don't always succeed in that. And, and, and the same thing happens with her. Uh, and so, you know, we have alarm clocks. And if we don't have alarm clocks, our lives would probably be a mess because we would be late to work all the time. So we are constantly in needing to be reminded of things. And so when we get into situations, we, for we, we, we sometimes push off our our lack of remembering unto God. God, you've forgotten about me. God, you don't know where I'm at. But let me tell you, he never stopped thinking about you. And just because you don't see him doesn't mean that he's not watching you from the mountain. Just because those disciples had no understanding of where Jesus was and no understanding of what the overall plan of God was going to be for that night and they thought they would perish, they did not know that there is a God in heaven who watches our every move. He's never forgotten about you. He's never, uh, he's never neglected to be mindful of you. He doesn't have a finite mind like we do. Well, we forget things. You know, you ever walk into a room and you're like, man, what did I come in here for? Or been, or worse yet, been in the middle of a sentence and your mind trails off and you're like, what was I talking about? And it's really bad when you're preaching and that happens. That's happened to me before. Where was I at? No, just kidding. God is not like that. You know, they say that the human mind has the capacity to memorize 40 languages and be fluent in all of them. 40. Even the person with the average, most average 
IQ. We fall way below our potential in our learning and understanding. Because we tell ourselves, I can't do that. I can't memorize it. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You can. You can. You can do whatever your mind sets, it sets out to do within reason. If, if God made us that intelligent, you have the words to hundreds of thousands of songs tucked away in your mind. Songs that you have not probably heard in years or even decades. But yet, it's put to a tune. And you know what the Bible says? I mean, really, you know, you could say that that's, that's the best way to memorize something. You know, even Bible quizzers, they put out the verses on CD so the kids can sing it. And it's in tune. Because that's the easy way to remember something. You know, the Bible says this in one verse in, I think it's Jeremiah, he said, I will sing over you. I will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I'm not here to say that God has to sing something to remember us. But, but there might be a portion to that, that, that whenever God sings over us, it's kind of like his way of saying, I know where you're at. And I haven't forgotten about you. And you know what? There's a season of fruitfulness that's coming your way. That's, that's a word for somebody today. But you got to keep being obedient today. you got to keep marching forward. Amen. you got to have your head uh, uh, hung up you know, and look into Jesus Christ and keep marching forward in Jesus' name. You can't quit and you can't give up and you can't take yourself out of the battle because it's a tough season for you and because you don't know where God is at and everybody's wronged you and woe is me, woe is me, my friend and turn around and get in the spirit of the Lord's day. Turn around and you won't see all the chaos and hell that's breaking loose in your life, but you'll see a God like Isaiah did. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. That's the kind of God you need to see today. Hallelujah. Amen. Because, you know... Isaiah and that King Uzziah were close. But in the year that King Uzziah died, it must have impacted Isaiah or he wouldn't have written about it. He wouldn't have said that specifically in the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that I was grieving. And maybe, and this is not written in the text, but Maybe Isaiah, because even prophets and preachers get down sometimes. Big shocker, right? Sometimes even preachers need to be lifted up or sometimes kicked up. So what Brother Morgan used to say years ago, if, if, if one pastor don't lift you up, I'll kick you up. <laughs> sometimes I need to be kicked up. But Isaiah was probably down. If you've ever had, had to suffer the death of a loved one, you know what grieving is. It's hard. And it's hard to, you know, to even to look forward to the light of day when you're grieving and your heart is bleeding and hurting. But Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high lifted up when I got in the spirit of the Lord's day. And I saw, you know what, it's going to be okay. Because, I, uh, uh, because that... That king might have been dear to me, but I'm going to see him again one day. Because one day he's going to come, and every eye will see him. And they also which pierced him are going to see him. And the trumpet's going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise. And we shall be changed, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the revelation that God wants you to see today. That's the day that God wants you to look forward to today. 
And here's another secret that you may not know. God can change things very quickly, like the weather in Missouri. <laughs> Just like that, everything, everything can change. You ever gotten that call that you dreaded? Like, every, like literally one minute, everything is going right. And just like that, one phone call and everything comes crashing down. Well, if that's true for the negative, it's true for the positive. If God can create a storm that quickly, he can rebuke the storm that quickly. When your time comes to come out of your season, it is going to change suddenly. 1 Corinthians 15 and 52 says this, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He said in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, thousands of years of death will instantly be defeated. Literally one moment, the earth will have its righteous dead buried within its, buried within its, uh, its ground. And the next moment, death is suddenly defeated. That's a lot of change. That is a lot of change that will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Scientists tell us we have a blink, we have a wink, and we have a twink in our eye. Not a twinkie. You might be thinking about a twinkie, but it's a twink. The twink is the amount of light. This is actually a scientific fact. The twink of an eye is the amount of time it takes light to enter the eye, reflect off the retina, and be seen by the eye. With light traveling at a speed of 186,282 miles per second, it's around one-sixth billionth of a second. That's the twinkling of an eye. Now, I don't know how old the earth is. You know, biblical scholars say it's about 10,000 years old. I don't know if that's true or not. They used, uh, they used the, record, the genealogical record in Genesis, I think, mostly to prove that. The Bible says, you know, so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, and really he was the grandson of so-and-so. But in Hebrews, in the Hebrew thought, if you were the grandson or the great-great-great-great-grandson, it was the same as you being a son. So, so that being said, I don't know how old the earth is. So biblical scholars say this. Scientists tell us it's millions of years. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I do know this. It's at least thousands of years old. And there's a whole lot of dead people on the earth right now. And there's a whole lot of Job's that have gone on, their physical bodies have gone on to sleep in the dust. And, and long since, their bodies has disintegrated, and it's been, you know, some of them uh, were burned. Some of their bodies were burned, and there's nothing left of it. It's literally dust in the wind. Some of their bodies are buried at sea, and they became fish food. And, and others died, you know, and, and, and they were buried in a sepulcher, which is a tomb... You know, basically that's outside of uh, physically sitting upon the ground. And then others are buried in the earth. And their bodies have long since, since gone. Their bones are since disintegrated into nothing. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But all of that will change in one-sixth of a billionth of a second. That's how quickly 
God is going to turn things around. Oh, my friend, this earth is cursed with a curse. But in one-sixth of a billionth of a second, everything is going to change. And you come to me today and you say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. And you don't know the hell and the chaos that's entered my life. I'm here to tell you, my friend, no, I don't know. But I know a God that can change all that in a billionth of a second. I know a God that can speak one word and say, peace, be still. And suddenly you're coming out of that season and you're going to march on to victory and you're going to do great things in God and no weapon formed against you is going to prosper because you will walk out of this season as long as you keep holding his hand. He's the God over darkness. He's the God over disease. He's the God over money issues. He's the God over marriage trouble. He's the God over everything that has ever troubled you in your life, my friend, if you will only get in the spirit on the Lord's day. Let's stand to our feet. Musicians, come. He's God over the chaos and over everything. You need to see Jesus through your chaos today. Amen. Close your eyes right now and just let your voices out for a moment. Jesus' name, God. Lord, in Jesus' name, God, speak to us today, God. Talk to us, God. Help us to see you through the chaos in our life, Lord. Jesus, 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 right now, Lord, in your name. Come on, let your voices out just, just for a little bit. Just for a little bit. Hallelujah, Jesus. Right now, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. He's God through the chaos in your life. He's seen every tear that you've ever shed. He's seen everything that you've ever gone through. And he's been watching you toil from the mountain. He's never taken his eyes off of you, although the struggle has been real. There is change that is coming your way in the future if you will only continue to be obedient. If you will continue to be faithful. If you will continue to maintain a right spirit like Job. There's a whirlwind that's going to come into your life like the end of the book of Job. God gave Job a revelation that he never gave anybody else. Because Job saw God in a whirlwind. Elijah never seen him like that. Moses never seen him like that. If you will, because there is a blessing in walking with God through the storm and holding to his hand. And whatever you do, don't miss the sweet fellowship of the Spirit that comes to you in the waiting room. Jesus, Jesus. Name. I want to just open up these altars right now. I want everybody to come. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Help us to see you through the chaos, God. Help us to see you through the storm, God, to keep our eyes focused upon you, not on the wind. When Peter got his eyes off the Lord, he began to sink.
exalted.